Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. Have you been to the supermarket lately? What are you supposed to do if you're going down that aisle and it's not quite wide enough to keep one and a half metres apart? I mean, what I do is I walk past in much the same way as you do, you know, when you go through the metal detector at the airport, if you walk through in a special way, you're going to be safe. It's pretty stressful going to the supermarket at the moment, isn't it? Because even if you're not worried about catching coronavirus, you have to worry about all the new social norms. I mean, every social society and culture has its own set of unspoken rules that, about what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. And in this time of coronavirus, there's a whole load of new social norms being written all the time. And the big stress is trying to work out what they all are. Often we don't even know we've got these social rules in our head until someone breaks them. So, like I think it, in a busy shop, uh, when we're trying to keep our social distance, if we're buying the same thing, you know, I'll wait for you to get it first and then move on. But I find myself getting really huffy if you don't notice that I'm waiting to get one too and take what I consider to be ages, more than 10 seconds, to grab it and move on. And that's just thinking about a small part of what it means to live as a citizen of Adelaide right now. What does living as a citizen of the gospel, a citizen of heaven, look like? The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church he's planted, a church that's going really well in Philippi, in Macedonia. And just as many in the world, in our world now, covet having an Australian citizenship, being from Philippi was a really coveted position to be in because it was a Roman colony. It meant you had a Roman passport with all the rights and privileges that, that go with that. But Paul wants the Philippians to know they have a different citizenship that is more important than that. A citizenship that truly defines them. They are gospel citizens. Later on in the letter, Paul will say, chapter 3, verse 20, Our citizenship is in heaven. And as Emily just read to us here in verse 27, Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The words conduct yourself in a manner there translate one Greek command word, polytevomai. We saw this in the first week. It means literally, 
be a citizen of or live your life. So a literal translation of verse 27 is, whatever happens, let your citizenly conduct be worthy of the fact that Jesus is Lord. Let your loyalty, your identity, every decision you make be wrapped up in and all about Jesus. Paul's awaiting a trial which may well result in his execution and he wants to know that the Philippians, whether he makes it or not, he wants to know that they'll carry on okay living for Jesus and living like Jesus. Living for Jesus and living like Jesus. And remember, this letter is to the whole church. Paul sees them all as his partners in the gospel. So every believer here at Trinity Church Woolcroft is a citizen of heaven. There are no passengers, no backroom support staff. We're all partners in it together. We've all got skin in the game. Living a life worthy of being a gospel citizen. Now that sounds like a tall order, doesn't it? I mean, I struggle to be a good Australian. I don't like Vegemite and I still think a 10 hour drive is a blooming long way. Now, if I struggle to be a good Australian, how about being a good citizen of heaven? It's important to notice Paul isn't telling them how to become gospel citizens. They already are. And if you are trusting Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you are a gospel citizen already. Jesus has done your visa application, he's fulfilled all its requirements, and he's given you the certificate. You're in, and no one, not even Peter Dutton, can take that away from you. Really, the whole of this letter is about what it means um, to live life, live a life worthy of the gospel. But this short part we're looking at today gives us the headlines. So we'll have a look at it in three main parts. So stand, in verse 27, stand firm is the main command there. Uh, and then expanding on how to do that are two participles or ing words. There's striving together. And then verse 28, without being frightened. So there are first two headings. So first we've got stand firm, striving together. Then we've got stand firm, without being frightened. And then finally, point three, it's not all about you. First of all then, standing together. Living as a Christian, as a citizen of the gospel, is not, never has been, and never will be, something you are meant to do on your own. Now it means, verse 27, stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Christians are spiritually reborn, moved from death to life from darkness to light, by the same Spirit of God. In the fundamental nature of our being, we are one. We're closer than family. And the word striving there, it carries the sense of athletes training together. Now, it may surprise you to know that I joined a gym a while back. And for a good while, every Tuesday morning at, get this, 6 a.m., Every Tuesday morning, 6am, I was there for body pump. Yes, it was as awful as it sounds. But the reason I was so consistent with getting there was because a couple that I know 
were going as well. And we egged each other on to turn up and get a coffee afterwards. But then the class moved to a different time. This couple I'm friends with couldn't make it. And you can guess the rest. I never went back. Another picture the Roman citizens of Philippi would have been familiar with would be the Roman testudo or tortoise formation, which relies on each soldier holding their place in the formation, shoulder to shoulder. Living openly as a gospel citizen is hard. We're social creatures and being rejected and opposed really hurts. Like swimming against the tide, it means striving, not to win salvation, but to live out that salvation we already have in a world that resents the idea that it needs saving at all. But this is a partnership we're in together. So for the Philippians, striving together with Paul meant sending, at great risk, their best man, Epaphroditus, to go and care for Paul's needs in prison. And we learned that it was a trip that brought him near to death. But he and the Philippians knew it was worth it because they were at one with Paul in being sold out for Jesus, sharing the good news about him in any way they could for his glory. And I've been really encouraged to see such striving together in our own church here at Woodcroft. People being really intentional uh, to, seek each, to seek one another out and to encourage one another. And we're really missing our weekly kind of Christ's body pump class, aren't we? We're really missing our gathering together uh, of 80 to 100 of us all in the same place at the same time. I mean, how much had we taken that for granted? How much are we feeling how important to us that coming together as church is? But God is in control. You know, God, who he reckons the gathering of his people as church is the most important thing that happens on earth. And yet, in his sovereignty, he's having us go through this period of not being able to gather together physically. Well, maybe he wants us to sharpen us. Maybe he wants to sharpen us in our finding other ways during the week to strive for the gospel together. Of course, the flip side of this is, if you think you can endure as a Christian without being committed to a church, then you're kidding yourself. Even if you could endure on your own, what about other Christians who need your help to endure? Now, I've met lots of Christians who don't go to church because they've been hurt, and I don't want to diminish or invalidate the pain that you've experienced at the hands of other Christians, if that's you. But I do want to ask gently, are you a special case that does not need to forgive as you have been forgiven by God? If you're refusing to strive together with other Christians, you are disobeying God's word. Church, Christ's body, is the primary way God has chosen to work in this world. So consider others as better than yourself and get back to church for their sake, if not for your own. So, we're to stand firm 
as gospel citizens, unbudged from proclaiming Jesus by striving together, standing firm, and were to stand firm without being frightened. Verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. The word used for frightened there is a really strong one. It's like, the, it's the word used for when a horse you know, shows the whites of its eyes, flicks its ears back and rears up to bolt. That kind of fear. See, standing firm for the gospel will bring opposition. In verse 30, Paul says he knows the Philippians are facing the same kind of trouble he faced. But what happened was, um, when Paul and his ministry buddy Silas were in Philippi, their striving together for the gospel resulted them ended up in prison, accused of being un-Roman. So in Acts 16 verse 20 it says, They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The gospel will often have practical economic and social impacts that rub up the wrong way against the prevailing culture. And we can expect more and more of that as Australian society abandons its Christian roots. It's par for the course for Christians. And the easy ride we've had the last couple of hundred years is really an anomaly in the history of the church. Rubbing up culture the wrong way. Uh, to illustrate this, in the UK, they started on Thursday nights, everyone doing a round of applause at the doorstep at 8pm for NHS staff and frontline workers. But people have imported into it a whole load of social expectations and people are being persecuted for rubbing up against those expectations. Here's a parody. Rubbing up against expectations of the culture. Well, here's a minor example of opposition we might face. Tell me, how do you feel about sharing the link of this service with your unbelieving friends and family? It's quite scary, isn't it? Because lots of what I'm doing here is in many ways socially unacceptable. I'm asserting that there is a truth uh, and that I'm inviting you to believe it at the expense of previously held beliefs. I'm sitting here telling people how to live their lives. I mean, who do I think I am? Well, actually, I don't think I'm anybody. Uh, I'm trying to just give you Jesus' message, his own message. But you can feel, can't you, how it's almost guaranteed to bring opposition. The gospel is pretty offensive. It says there's something fundamentally wrong with you and you've no chance of fixing yourself. But the gospel is also good news that in Jesus, God has done everything to make you safe with him and to live everything you need to live for what you were made for. So given Paul ended up in prison, giving standing firm in the gospel uh, will mean we lose friends, lose status, and generally it'll make life harder. Given how scary all of that sounds, why shouldn't we be frightened? Well, it's because there's a different lens through which to see suffering for the gospel. Verse 28. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. When we are opposed, it's a sign that we are safe, 
and that those who oppose us are not. Opposition provides clear confirmation that we are on Jesus' side, on the side of the gospel. And through all the polite niceties of Adelaide society, opposition to the gospel exposes where people are really up to with God. In fact, Paul describes our suffering from opposition, verse 29, as being granted or graced to us, like it's a gift. Now, it won't really usually feel that way. But if you ask the question, is my eternal life secure? Will everything be all right in the end? Being opposed for Jesus' sake gives you a resounding yes. Now, just to clarify, if you are investigating Jesus, if you've got honest questions and doubts about him, that is not opposing the gospel. That's just using the intellect that God has given you to ask reasonable questions to see if faith in Jesus is reasonable. No, opposition is to assume as false the gospel without really investigating it, or even knowing the gospel to be true, then seeking to silence its spread or get in the way of the gospel. Of course, the ultimate example of opposition bringing glory to God is Jesus himself. For claiming to be God the Son, for calling people to believe in him, he was betrayed, tortured and put to death. But the very acts used to try and destroy him fulfilled God's plans to rescue us, to rescue us from ourselves and our sin for anyone who will believe in him. So standing firm, striving as one, standing firm without being frightened and do all of this, our final section, do this knowing it's not about you. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it's like the sales pitch that tells you all the great benefits of being a gospel citizen. So verse 1, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, uh, if there doesn't express uncertainty, it's saying, on account of the fact that everything in verse 1 is true, do what Paul says in verse 2. So verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul is picking up the one spirit idea from verse 27. He's called us to unity as, gospel, as citizens of the gospel. Uh, and as we believe and trust in the same saviour, Jesus, as we read and obey his word together in the, from the Bible, we have the same mindset, uh, the same purposes, same priorities, powered by the same spirit of God, producing in us the same love. It's a practical unity of us all thinking the same thing about Jesus. I'll tell you what kind of unity it isn't. It's not the kind of unity where we all paper over the cracks that we believe different things so that we can all hold hands and be nice to each other. It's good to be nice to each other, of course. At the Anglican school I went to, we'd have multi-faith multi services uh, with Christian, Jewish and Muslim elements. Now, I feel really privileged to have grown up knowing about and understanding other faiths so that I can love and respect people um, rather than having fear born out of ignorance. 
but it was supremely daft to put those religions together in a worship service as if each weren't fundamentally where it really mattered contradicting each other no if you look at verse 27 we strive together for the faith of the gospel so the public uncompromised declaration that Jesus is Lord and the only one who can bring us the forgiveness we need Christians are still sinners uh, and so much gets in the way of our unity doesn't it so much divides us so how can we have unity well by realizing it's not all about you verse 3 do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourself do not look to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others Sharon and I have done marriage prep with several couples now and these days we always start and finish with the same thing be kind because you can profoundly disagree about something but still be okay with each other if you're kind to each other treating the other as more important than yourself and it's the same for us as we live as gospel citizens together sooner or later in life together as gospel citizens as church we're gonna disagree we're gonna be told no might even get rebuked for going wrong but those disagreements all those things are easier to take if we've always been treating each other's interests as more important than our own think of the Apostle Paul there he is completely sold out for Jesus so much so that it's cost him his freedom he's in prison and whilst most of the church support him some have snuck in there and taken advantage of the situation preaching Christ yeah but with the motive of taking the place of that annoying bloke Paul of bigging themselves up making a move for power but Paul's able to let go of all those wrongs and that betrayal seeing those people as even more important than himself because they are advancing the gospel I mean could you let go like that that's the kind of self-sacrificial other person-centered gospel citizenship that we're called to it's not easy but we have Jesus example to follow now Daniel's going to bring us the next verses next week so I don't want to steal his thunder but Jesus is the ultimate example of letting go of your own importance in order to put others interests first to sum up then living as a citizen in a way that is worthy of the gospel is something we can only do together shoulder to shoulder and right now we're going to have to be particularly proactive about doing that as we're physically distanced it means living for Jesus and living like Jesus in light of the facts that we're already completely safe in him considering others better than ourselves and it means not being frightened frightened of or distracted by our opponents and not seeking our own glory but rather speaking and living living out for Jesus encouraged that the suffering from opposition that that brings is a sign that we are ultimately safe so stand firm striving together stand firm without being frightened and remember 
it's not all about you. Jesus has you safe and all the glory goes to him.